Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Before we jump into this morning's message, I want to share with you uh, an announcement that I'm really excited about. Uh, You know, fall is in full swing, and that means Advent is right around the corner. And as our leadership team, our ministry leadership team, was thinking about how could we uh, participate in Advent, uh, but having in mind that there's still a lot of uncertainty surrounding COVID and what may happen uh, as we get into colder weather months. And so we decided that we wanted to come up with a way that we could resource you in your homes uh, to celebrate and recognize the Advent season. Uh, And so I'm excited to announce uh, this morning uh, what we're calling the Advent Podcast Project. Uh, or the podcast series. So beginning on November, on Sunday, November 29th, uh, we're going to release two podcasts a week, uh, one on Sunday and then one midweek. Uh, the Sunday podcast will be uh, a, a liturgy for lighting the candle of the Advent wreath uh, in your home. Uh, and then the midweek one will be combined with, uh, like it'll be a video and an pod, audio podcast that will include an Advent song along with a short reflection. Uh, but here's what we're really excited about. Uh, we, we recognize that this will just be a great time for you to recognize Advent in your home, uh, motivate times of conversation among, around the dinner table. Uh, and whether it's just you or it's the whole crew at home, this will be a great kind of prompts for reflection and celebration during the season of Advent. Uh, but we recognize that not all of you may have an Advent wreath at home to participate with us. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we are going to purchase an Advent wreath for you and your home. Uh, All you have to do is tell us that you need one or want one. Uh, And we're really excited about this. And and here's the reason why. Uh, We're able to do this because you all have shown generous support to the church in this season. Uh, And our costs have gone down because we've not been spending money on on programs like as we normally would. And so we're able to invest in initiatives just like this one to help resource you in your home. And so we're really, really excited about it. So uh, you can let me know. There's a link on our website. Uh, If you get our weekly newsletter, you can find the link there. All you have to do is sign up. Let us know that you want an Advent wreath, and we will make sure that you get one in your home. Now, we're going to hopefully to say a little bit of money, uh, hopefully have you coordinate a time to come and pick it up at the church, but if we can't work that out, uh, then we will just get it into your hands uh, in whatever way that we can. So uh, we're super excited about that, and uh, just hope that you'll participate with us uh, during this Advent podcast series beginning on Sunday, November 29th. So um, that's a, a big undertaking for our team, but we're really excited and confident uh, that we can do it and do it well. Uh, So, Advent right around the corner. But our business for today is to continue uh, in our Fruit of the Spirit series. We've been looking at this, uh, spending some time on the Fruit of the Spirit uh, out of Galatians chapter 5 for a couple purposes primarily. Uh, One is for introspection. Uh, To first say, do we see the work of the Spirit in our own lives? To take an honest look inward and say, what are the ways in which the Spirit of God is moving and working in us so that our lives display this fruit? 
Because again, these are the fruit of the Spirit, which means essentially this is a list of the characteristics of who God is, and that as God works in us, we then take on those characteristics and they are embodied and demonstrated in our own lives. So first for introspection. But we've also been using this series and this study as a way of uh, leaning into discernment. That in a world that is so noisy, that has so much going on, we need discernment to know what is good and what is right and what is true. And so, as a reminder, out of Galatians chapter 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For against these things, there is no law. So today I want to talk to you about the fruit of faithfulness. And let's begin with just some nuance and some understanding of, of what we're talking about when we talk about faithfulness. Uh, the faithfulness that I want to talk to you about and that I think is being spoken of uh, in the fruit of the Spirit is different from believing faith, or the faithfulness is different than believing faith. Because there is a faith that leads us into accepting Christ's work on the cross, beginning a relationship with Jesus, and a commitment to walk in the ways of the kingdom of Christ. And that certainly is the work of the Spirit, that God's prevenient grace, the Spirit of God is continually chasing us and wooing us, inviting us into life with Christ and life in Christ. And that is certainly the work of the Spirit. But the, the fruitfulness of faithfulness, the fruit of faithfulness is, in fact, one that is, follows the initial commitment. It's a faith that we live by. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. But even then, we need some more nuance. Because when we talk about faith, sometimes what we Christians often mean is faith becomes kind of a shorthand way of talking about confident belief, right? Uh, sometimes we almost talk about faith as being really, really certain about particular doctrines, maybe. Or sometimes we think about it in confident belief that God is going to do this. He's going to show up, and he's going to... to come through. And there is a time and a place for that. But again, I don't think that that's what we're talking about when we talk about the fruit of faithfulness in our lives. You see, I've come to see that faith is best described as allegiance or loyalty or trust. Faithfulness then, if we think about it in terms of trust or loyalty to Jesus or allegiance to Christ and his kingdom, faithfulness then is being steadfast in our allegiance to Jesus who is ruler over all the nations, creator of life and the eternal word of God. And so in this time where our nation is so divided politically, the question becomes, how are we to know what allegiance to Jesus looks like? How are we to know when there are people on both sides of the political spectrum and of all viewpoints who, are, who invoke the name of Jesus to defend their position? How are we to know? How are we to discern? And so I want to invite you this morning to journey with me to try to tackle these things head on. And so uh, we're going to talk about the kingdom of Christ, but we're going to talk about it in a very current context. And um, hopefully all of our toes will be stepped on this morning, <laughs> including my own, including my own. I think it's going to be really helpful if we turn to the Gospels for some wisdom. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 22, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there with me or you can click there with me on your devices. It'll also be up on the screens. Uh, But Matthew chapter 22, beginning with uh, reading verse 15 through 22, it says this. Now then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him, him here is Jesus, in what he had said, so so they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You show deference to no one and uh, you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then uh, what you think. They're buttering Jesus up (laughs) right before they trap him, right? And so then they ask the loaded question. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, who was aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And then they brought him a denarius, and then he said to them, Whose head or whose image is on this, and whose title? They answered, This is emperor's or, the, or Caesar's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to Caesar or to the emperor the things that are the emperor's. And to God, the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed and they left him and went away. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What we need to recognize about the story in Matthew chapter 22 is that this short story, just a few verses, is loaded with politics. It is loaded with political implications. And I would say that what, is true, what was true of Jesus is also true of pastors. If you really want to get them in trouble, focus on their politics. <laughs> you, can, you can maybe ask them questions about their theology, but you can get them fired over their politics. So here's the scene. The Herodians are there along with the Pharisees. And the Herodians are followers of the late King Herod's uh, political philosophy. So Herodians gathering their name as kind of followers of the philosophy of King Herod. Now Herod was of Jewish descent, but had come to power in the Roman Roman Empire. So he was of Jewish descent, but had come to power in Rome. In other words, Herod's thought was, if you can't beat them, join them. And so the Herodians found out that Rome had a bunch of money and a bunch of power. And if you play along nicely with Rome, uh, it turns out that you too could have a bunch of money and a bunch of power. Uh, And so under the right circumstances, Rome would be willing to give away some of their authority if you would agree to play along nicely. And so what this meant then, and I want, I want to help you understand the context, what this meant then is that the Herodians were very interested in protecting the status quo. They didn't like protests, and they wanted law and order. Uh, and let's just be really on the edge here this morning. Uh, if we were to place them on a political spectrum uh, as it our kind of pol- political system exists today, we might say the Herodians were on the right. 
Now, compare that to many followers of Jesus. We might call them Jewish zealots uh, who were tired of the politically powerful and desired to be freed from the oppression of Rome. And they were attracted to Jesus' message precisely because Jesus was talking about a new kingdom and a new way and the, the advent of a new day. And this, imagine a group of people living under oppression of empire and the promise of a Messiah for hundreds of years and then now hearing someone talk about a new kingdom, you imagine that they're drawn to that and essentially their their hope is, is that Jesus will call up arms through revolution and take over the oppression, the Roman oppression, right? So they don't yet know the full scope of what Jesus' kingdom is going to be all about. They just know that here comes another leader from the bottom talking about an overthrow of Rome through a new kingdom. Boy, are they going to be surprised when they learn all the nature of Jesus' message, right? But here they are. They're following this one on the promise of a new kingdom and the advent of a new day. And so while the Herodians spoke of law and order, the Jewish zealots were crying out for liberation. If we were to place them on the political spectrum today, we might place them a little further on the left. And so you have the right and you have the left. And these two groups are ideological opposites. You might even say, uh, as I've said, you might say they're on the right and the left. And then they're put together. They're, they're, They're all together in one place. And then they decide to drop the political bomb right on Jesus. And they say, tell us, Jesus, does the Torah allow that we should pay taxes to the emperor? (laughs) The question, while innocent enough to us, is actually loaded with political implication and is in fact designed to trap Jesus. Uh, To give you a sense of what this might be like in our current context, it might be a little bit something like uh, at a church potluck. Uh, in a church that is, has people kind of of both maybe persuasions on the right and left, which by the way, uh, can I just say that's reflective of our own community, which I love, okay? It's pretty, it's fairly easy to gather a community of people that are kind of all persuaded in one direction it's, or the other. It's really, really difficult to have a, a faith community uh, that, of differing perspectives, but all united under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, okay? And, and so I'm really, really glad uh, to, to have a community that is uh, diverse in our viewpoints. Uh, but let's say that we were then all together in a potluck, and then someone decided to just kind of drop some political bombs into the conversation. It might, might feel something like this. Hey, pastor, tell us what you think. Should Amy Coney Barrett be confirmed as a Supreme Court justice before Election Day? We'd really like to hear or, or it might be something like, um, we're curious, Pastor, are they protests or are they riots? <laughs> and just leave it there. Or it might be, uh, just so we're clear, should we defund the police or not? Right? So here is then, this is the situation that Jesus finds himself in. 
And Jesus is so good at getting out of these things, isn't he? You'll find as you read the Gospels, he is often in trouble and they're trying to trap him. They're trying to paint him in a corner. They're trying to pin him down. And he is an expert at getting out of it every single time. But here's why the question is so dangerous to Jesus. If Jesus says, yes, you should pay your taxes, then all of the followers who are convinced that a new kingdom is at hand and the year of the Lord's favor has arrived and a new day has come, then they will just, and a new creation is breaking in, they're going to say, wait a minute. If we pay taxes to Caesar, then we're supporting the same old system. And therefore, Jesus does not represent anything new. In fact, he is complicit with the same old way. But, on the other hand, if Jesus says no, You should not pay your taxes because the Torah, the law, says that you can't put graven images on things and money is covered in images of the emperor Caesar. So paying your taxes is just one more way of being complicit in Rome's broken system in which we need to break free. If Jesus says that, then guess what? The Pharisees and the Herodians who love law and order are simply going to bring Jesus up the chain of empirical discipline and has have his movement squashed. Jesus finds himself in quite a pickle, a political pickle. But in response, Jesus asks the people to pull, pull out a coin. And after that, he poses a very simple question. Whose image or whose head is on the coin? And the answer came back, the emperor's or Caesar's. But Jesus replied, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Now, a lot of times, if you've heard this passage spoken about or preached on before, here's what we sometimes come to the wrong conclusion about. Sometimes we might say that there is sort of a sphere of life that belongs to empire, and there's a sphere of life that belongs to God, and as long as we kind of keep, uh, give a nod to the secular and to the religious parts of our life, then your life will be in proper balance, right? So sometimes it's this understanding that our lives have these compartments and as long as you just sort of give each compartment its due then you'll be okay sometimes it's actually preached and taught that way and let me tell you that is not what Jesus is saying here Jesus is not saying give kind of proper nod uh, to empire and give proper nod to Jesus and you'll be okay he's saying something far more profound than that You see, Jesus' response is an invitation to give the thing back to whoever's image is on it. And so he says, if you find yourself as a citizen or operating and living in an empire and and, and then, you know, there's taxes to be done, then, then maybe you should do that. Live as sort of citizens in that in that country, that nation, that city. But whoever's image is on it, give that thing back to it. And the implication here, remember he's speaking to like the, the, the Pharisees, the Herodians. These are people of Jewish descent. And so they would have known the Torah very, very well. And what the Torah says in Genesis 1 is that humanity bears the image of God. 
And so the idea here is that you yourself are an image bearer of God, the creator. And so you yourself ought to give your whole selves back to God. That it is your role, it is your responsibility and privilege to image God back to the world as an image bearer. Amen? That we ourselves, humanity is unique in all of creation because we have been given the imago dei, the image of God. And so this passage is essentially an invitation to offer our whole selves to faithful allegiance to Christ as the image bearers of God. And then who then have the task of reflecting the goodness of God back into the world as faithful witnesses. Now, here's where I want to kind of pin us down. (laughs) Both sides are wanting to pin Jesus down in a particular political camp. They're wanting to put Jesus on one side or the other of their own ideologies. So the Herodians want to place Jesus as a radical who opposes their ideology, while the Jewish zealots want to prove Jesus is on their side of the political spectrum. Does this sound familiar? And here's what I want us to see. Jesus will have nothing of it. Jesus refuses to be pinned down. And instead what he does is he takes this moment to show that allegiance to God, let's call that faithfulness, What he does is he takes this teachable moment to show that allegiance to God or faithfulness to God is something completely other than and completely different from political ideologies. Wasn't sure if I'd get a bunch of amens or crickets. (laughs) I don't know how you are at home, but it was a lot of crickets in here. And so here's what I want to say to us. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, faithfulness is allegiance to the way of Jesus and his kingdom. And this means inherently that the fruit of faithfulness in our lives will not be blind commitment to a binary system of political ideologies. Let me say that again. For us who call ourselves Christians, Faithfulness is allegiance to the way of Jesus and his kingdom. And this inherently means that the fruit of faithfulness in our lives will not be blind commitment to a binary system of political ideologies. Because here's the situation. The Herodians were so committed to their commitment and were so committed to their friendship and relationship with the Roman Empire, and so formed by the ways of empire that they were in danger of becoming deaf to the cries of the oppressed. You with me? Herodians, so so formed by the way of empire, committed to their friendship to the empire, that they were in grave danger of becoming deaf to the cries of the oppressed. And, And if they become deaf to the cries of the oppressed, then then they have no way of of navigating what it means to set the oppressed free. So they were becoming deaf to the cries for whom this current system was no longer working. Maybe for you, oppressed is a too strong of a word. So here's a way of thinking about it. For those, those for whom this current system was no longer working, 
But if you were too close to empire, you begin to believe the way that you experience life is the way that everyone experiences life. And this simply is not true. If we become too close to the ways of empire, we begin to believe the lie that the way in which we experience the world is the way in which everyone experienced the world. And church, this is not true. Now there's an opposite danger. <laughs> the Jewish zealots were also in danger. The ones who have been calling for revolution, for calling for Jesus on the confidence that he would bring about something new also face a grave danger. Because in an effort to overturn a system that was not working for them and establish something new, they are in danger of churning to the tools, tricks, and tactics that they too have learned from the empire. This is why it was so common and such a common expectation of Jesus the Messiah to form a violent revolution against Rome. Because the Jewish zealots who desired a new kingdom did not have the ears to hear the ways in which Jesus was speaking. And they wanted someone to take up arms against the Roman Empire. And boy, did Jesus surprise them. When instead of a call to arms with the Sermon on the Mount, he started telling them illustrations about plants and seeds and yeast that grows slowly. And weren't they surprised that at the moment of his arrest, when, when Peter, who had not yet fully captured the, the makings of the kingdom of Christ, took up arms, defended Jesus by way of the sword, and Jesus heals the man who was injured, looks to Peter and says, put down your sword. For those who live by the sword, die by the sword. You see, the Jewish zealots who were desiring Jesus to establish this new kingdom were pulling from and drawing upon the same tactics and tricks and ways that they themselves had learned, uh, learned from the empire. And if we do that, if they were to do that, then they were in danger of being the oppressed who simply become the oppressors. And so Jesus in the beauty of the gospel, refuses to be pinned down, recognizing both of these dangers and offers to the, to the followers who will hear something completely different. And so the message I want you to hear today is that the kingdom of Christ is something totally other than and different from political ideologies. And as Christians, our allegiance belongs to Christ and his kingdom. And as tempting as it may be in a world, in a culture that is so divided in this election season to kind of land on one side of the ticket or the other, may we be faithful to Christ. Because what I believe is that the fruit of faithfulness in our lives is actually a faithful reckoning with the realities I've just described. Recognizing the risks of being too close to empire. Recognizing the risks of wanting to overturn a system that is no longer working for those who are oppressed, but using the same tips and tactics of the empire. Boy, that, that was supposed to be like really fun alliteration that just completely bombed. Um, but you got my point. And so my question for us 
is are we so close to the ways of empire that we no longer hear the cries of the oppressed? Are we so fed up with those in positions of power that we simply long to take power for ourselves and enslave those that we are frustrated with? May we not fall on either side of those because to do so is to give away our allegiance to Christ and his kingdom. That's my sermon. Here's the epilogue. (laughs) As I was thinking about this message, I became really nervous that the message of Jesus not being pinned down politically might be taken to mean that the way of Jesus is to not take any stances. And that is not what I'm saying. Um, There's clear evidence from the life of Christ all the way back into the Old Testament prophets that the people of God can and should take clear stances on what scholars call the quartet of the vulnerable. The The quartet of the vulnerable are the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the immigrant. You see, these four populations throughout Scripture from the very beginning voice of the Hebrew prophets all the way through the, through the life of Christ are, are saying that are on, on God is on their side. And so the Hebrew prophets were continually pointing out that a society as a whole is not just if these vulnerable populations are not cared for. If, if, we have to, if those vulnerable populations have to worry about being taken advantage of, or they fear for their safety, then the Hebrew prophet's unanimous message was that the society is not just and is not in line with the will of God. And often what the Hebrew prophets are trying to do is bring the nation of Israel back to a place where they they can actually make a just society for those vulnerable populations. And it's always those four that are mentioned. What what Jesus does in his life and the proclamation of the kingdom of God is build upon and fulfill the the voice of the Hebrew prophets by moving toward vulnerable populations and caring for them and showing them justice. And so to those who are poor and have no means of a meal, Jesus offers food. For those who have been cast out and unwelcomed into this place, who have been cast out of the city, Jesus offers a place of hospitality. Over and over and over again, Jesus moves toward these vulnerable populations and then offers them humanity and justice. God-centered, Christ-centered justice. And so for, for me... When it comes to the quartet of the vulnerable, as Christians, our stance should be clear. That we want to protect and bring shalom as much as we can. Now, I'm using my language very intentionally here. I'm saying stance and not policy. Right? Our stance should be clear. And what I mean by that is we can have discussions on what policies best care for the poor, but we have moved outside of of the lines of Christian faith if we blame and shame the poor. 
that we can have disagreements and debates. We can, even, we can have all kinds of discussions uh, about policies surrounding immigration. But we cannot demonize the immigrant or the refugee. And let me tell you, with all the kindness and love in my heart, as a pastor who feels that my role is to be a prophetic voice in our time and in our culture, if we do either of these things, if we blame and shame the poor, if we demonize the immigrant, we have sacrificed the way of Christ on the altar of political power or partisanship. And to do so is to give away our allegiance. Let me turn to our painting this morning. Again, we're doing this series in partnership with Christos Collective, who gathered nine artists who all work collectively on nine works of art to represent the fruit of the Spirit. And this painting, at first, I wasn't quite sure what to do with. I wasn't quite sure what the, what the artists collectively were trying to communicate. But then it became clear. Allegiance to the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus is the plumb line of our faith. Faithfulness to Christ and the ways of the kingdom is the plumb line for our faith. That if we are to invoke the name of Jesus, we sure better hope that it sounds a lot like Jesus. Right? But then, what you may not be able to see, depending on where you're seated, is that around the border of the painting is, is written Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And here's, what, here's a realization. If we have a crisis of faithfulness, to the way of Christ, especially as it regards the quartet of the vulnerable, our children will notice and our faith will lose credibility. And so part of our faithfulness, part of the plumb line of our faith, part of the reason that we ourselves are to do the difficult work of introspection and discernment in this time and in every generation, right? In some ways, this feels like such a unique time. But it's, at the same time, it's not. Every generation must work out what does it mean to be Christian and faithful to the kingdom of Christ in this time and in this place. And that's our plumb line, the way of Jesus, the kingdom of Christ. But there's this connection here, this intimate connection between Jesus' words of saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Do not hinder the faith of our children. But can we practice a faith that makes Christianity possible for the generations to come? Because they, they are watching. And so, if we have this crisis of faithfulness to the way of Christ, then our children will notice and our faith will lose credibility. And can I say, our children have noticed. And our children are noticing. And I say that to parents whose children may still be in the home 
and young and in school. I say that to parents who may have children who have grown up and have children of their own. But there is a crisis of faithfulness in the church. And the children are taking notice. And so my prayer is that we, by God's grace, will be faithful witnesses. Faithful witnesses. That we, that we in our lives may bear the fruit of faithfulness. And Lord, help us. Lord, help us to not believe that faithfulness can be fully captured in either political ideology. Because Jesus refuses to be pinned down. And I think that the, a message that the church needs, now, now perhaps more than ever, is that the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus is something totally other than and different from political ideologies. To equate Faith in Christianity with one side of the political spectrum or the other is essentially to give away our allegiance and to say that this created political system that's a couple hundred years old fully captures the kingdom of Christ just simply cannot be. And so church, I pray that first um, that I would have eyes to see and ears to hear the message of Jesus and the beauty of his kingdom. And then also that we as a community would be able to do the same and live as faithful witnesses of Christ in the world. Well, let me say a word of prayer and then lead us to the Lord's table today. Faithful God, today we come to you living in a time and a culture and in circumstances that just feel exhausting. Having, having to work around and deal with all of the guidelines and, and practices in the midst of a pandemic that are good and necessary. And yet as social creatures, Lord, there's, it's tiresome to be separated and distant from one another. God, in a, in a political time and culture that is not new, but has happened in our own country and in many nations throughout the world, throughout history, we find ourselves very divided. And that's wearisome. To have so much noise on both sides, demonizing and blaming the other. Each one of us feeling as though we got to line up, get on a side. Lord, it's easy to do. So we pray, God, that in these moments, in this service, that you would give us new motivation, new energy, fresh eyes to see you and the kingdom of Christ in its beauty. Lord, thank you for this story in which we have a record of how you refused to be pinned down. You refused to be caught up or captured in the political division 
and instead showed a new way. And so God, as your faithful witnesses in the world, may we follow that new way that feels just as new and as fresh and as relevant today as it did thousands of years ago. And so Lord, help us. May you give us discernment. May we be faithful as we look at our own lives and our own hearts. And God, may our lives bear the fruit of the Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.